Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we've been going through the Gospel of We've entitled it Earth Walk, The Life of Jesus Christ. And just kind of bringing you up to speed of where we're at. We started out in really the latter half of chapter 4, worked our way up to about the middle part of chapter 6, and saw how Jesus really starts his ministry and really comes in conflict with the religious leaders because he's basically showing something different about himself, that his whole ministry is different. His and he wants us to broaden our concept of who he is, that he's out to do something new, to start something new. So Luke, Luke helps us understand that. Then he comes to really chapter, the latter part of chapter 6 and gives us the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is really talking about what it means to follow him. So now we come to chapter 7, and so Luke is going to change a little bit. He's going to shift now to where his focus is no longer on Jesus, although Jesus is a part of what's going on here, but it's really going to be on the people who are interacting with Jesus. So like today, it's going to be the Roman centurion. Next week, it's going to be the widow who's lost her son. From there, it's going to be the disciples of John bringing a message from John the Baptist. And it's all about how these folks interact with Jesus. And so today, we're going to see how this Roman centurion even though he doesn't physically appear in this passage, he's there, others are speaking for him, interacts with Jesus. Now, this is a very important lesson, a very important passage for you and I to understand because Luke wants us to see a couple of things here. He wants us to see the faith of this individual, but he also wants us to see that Jesus has time for somebody like a Gentile. And from this story, we're going to see what really impresses God. Now, I mentioned my prayer that you and I fall into a dangerous mindset. And it's natural for us to fall there, because basically, if you remember, from the time that you could remember as a child, even to now, wherever you work, whether it's in school or wherever, your reward is based upon what? How you act and what you do. So, if you're going to get a treat from mom or dad, you got to be what, folks? Good. If you're going to get a bonus at work, you got to do what? Work hard if they give bonuses. If you're going to do well in school, you got to do what? Do well. See, all of that is a mindset that we've developed. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is we take that mindset of how we interact with each other and take it over and bring it with us in our interaction with God. So we enter into a mindset that says, in order for God to be impressed with me, I've got to do certain things in order for Him to do stuff for me. And it will manifest itself like this. You'll be praying and you'll say, God, I need your help with this situation. God, don't you remember I've done this for you? God, I did good the other day. I didn't, I didn't bark at that attendant. God, I even helped that little old lady. Get a cart at Walmart. They were snagged up there. And God, I, I took my time to do that. Don't we think that way? 
But here's the thing I want you to see. What we're going to see from this passage is that that doesn't impress him. That's not what impresses God. God actually calls for something else from us, and we're going to see it through the life of this Roman centurion. So notice with me, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Luke. Now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who was sick. Folks, we're going to see a couple of things here today. We're going to see, first of all, what conventional thinking is. We sometimes call it conventional wisdom. It's the current thought process that's going through, through our culture, and especially in the church culture today. And then we're going to see the extraordinary. We're going to see the extraordinary, and then finally we're going to see the reaction of Jesus. So let's talk about conventional thinking, conventional wisdom. I've kind of alluded to it already in my introduction about the trap that we fall into, but we're going to see it specifically here in what's going on. So let me set the setting for you. Jesus is done with his Sermon on the Mount. He then enters into Capernaum, which is basically throughout most of the Gospel, you're going to see that he's kind of in and out of Capernaum. It's a little town that he's in, probably the size of Kerwinsville. And what happens is, is there's this Roman centurion. Now let me explain to you what a Roman centurion was. He was a, a military leader in charge of a hundred people. Probably in our terms we would understand it as a captain. If you were in the military, you know that a captain is over a company, and a company usually has about four or five platoons, usually with about a hundred folks or more. And so this guy's a captain. He's a centurion. And so what happens is, is this centurion hears about Jesus. Now he has a servant that he really loves, that he cares a lot for, that's sick. So he sends the elders, that is the civic leaders of that community, to go see Jesus to bring him back to heal his servant. That's interesting, isn't it? We already know that the Jews, what, hated the Romans. And so here's this Roman leader sending these Jewish leaders, and they're willingly going to go for him. So there's something significant about this guy. So what happens is, is they go before Jesus, and I want you to notice with me, look with me at verse 4 and 5, and notice what these Jewish leaders say to Jesus. So when they came to him, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he sh should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So several things I want you to see about 
the conventional thinking that's going on here. First of all, there needs to be intensity in making our request. There needs to be intensity in making our request. When you look at verse 4, it says they begged him earnestly. Now, it's not like they showed up and just said, please, Jesus, come. It's that they continually begged him. It's that there was an intensity in it. It's like they showed up and said, man, you have got to come. You have got to. This guy is worthy. You need to come, Jesus. You've got to take care of this guy. This guy is special. You know, Here, Jesus, show up. Just show up and do it for us, Jesus. You can do it. They're making, it's very intense in their demand for him. You know what, folks? We do the same thing. Please. Jesus, please. Please, 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 please. Have you heard your prayers lately? God, you've got to do this for me. If you don't do it, I'm sunk. I'm already sinking. I'm running out of air, Jesus. Give me some air. And we get intense with him because we think that by our intensity, by our begging, that we're going to get his attention. Let's, let's just call it what it is, folks. It's manipulation. We think that we have to do certain things in order to what? Manipulate him. Now, let me just remind you for a moment. I'm going to stop you and say, well, is that wrong? Well, I want you to remember, in Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is much longer than Luke's account, he says that we are not to, to go before him, not to pray as the Gentiles do with much babbling, as if they could, can, could manipulate. What he, what he was referring to is that in pagan worship, that most of pagan worship is bent on manipulating a god to do what, that, what you want that god to do. And he's saying, when you approach God the Father, don't be manipulative that you're trying to get him to do something for you. You don't have to do that. So here's what these Jewish elders are. They're doing the same thing. They're begging him, please, Jesus, come. Take care of this dude. Here's something else they're thinking. There was a sense in which one deserves it. Notice what they said to Jesus. Look with me at verse 4. Saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Here's what's going on. There's a sense in which we think, and I'm going to talk about it positively and negatively here in a moment, there's a sense in which we think that one deserves Jesus to do something for it because you've done something for Jesus. In fact, what are they saying here? Look at all the stuff He did for us, Jesus. He built our synagogue. He loves our nation. If there's ever a guy, if there's ever a Gentile who deserves it, because think about it, this guy's a Gentile, he deserves it, Jesus. Isn't that the mindset we fall into? God, I, I'm here. You know, I sit through those sermons from George. Lord, I, I give. You saw how much I gave today. I even gave a little extra. God, I'm volunteering for that. Pro- I don't like it, but I'm volunteering. I'm, I'm suffering for you, Jesus. Think about the stuff that we do. Again, it's manipulation, and we start thinking that we deserve him to answer us. Now, the negative side of that, let me just say this, is that you could be here and you take the opposite mindset, and that is, well, there's no sense in me praying because I don't deserve him looking at me. I don't deserve him answering me. I don't deserve a response because look at what I did. See, it's both either way. 
The trap's either way. You either think you deserve something from him, or you don't think you're worthy at all. And then the next thing about the conventional thing is, is that actions are seen worthy of Jesus' attention. Actions are seen worthy of Jesus' attention. And what's going on here is they're saying, look, he loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. He's a great guy, Jesus. You should help him. And we fall into that mindset. Now, here's a test of how you know you're in that mindset. I've seen this several times. I've been pastoring now for 15 years. And through the years, I see this and I continue to see this. I see the mindset happen. And here's how I know that you have the mindset. Because when something bad happens, I hear a complaint. God, why did you let this happen to me? I've been faithful. Why is this happening to me? My friends, that exposes it right off the bat that you think that because of your actions, you deserve better. You are worthy of Jesus' attention. See, that's a wrong mindset. Because let me just explain something to you, folks. If you live on planet Earth, bad stuff's going to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you live here, stuff is going to happen. Bills are going to happen. Health issues are going to happen. Tragedy is going to happen. It happens. Someone's going to do you wrong. Crimes happen. And it's not because you didn't do enough or you did a lot. And none of us should feel we deserve Jesus to do anything with us. But that's the conventional thinking. That's the thinking of these Jewish elders here as they go to Jesus and they beg him with intensity, come take care of it, this guy deserves it, because look at all the stuff he's done. And we get into that mindset too. God, I need your help right now because, listen to me, I've done a lot for you. And I deserve it. Folks, we don't deserve anything. Do you understand? The heart of the message of Christianity is grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Because what we deserve, folks, is hell. Period. Period. So that's the conventional thinking there. But I want you to notice that Luke then changes things. He says it's interesting because he says, okay, Jesus does decide to go with him. And as they're on their journey, verse 6 through 8 tells us that something interesting happens. Because now the centurion sends another group of messengers. It's not the elders. It's probably some folks from his own household. And they come with a message for Jesus. Look with me at verse 8 and notice what it says there. Chapter 7, verse 8, it says, excuse me, verse 6, when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. What's going on here? I want you to notice the extraordinary. I want you to notice what is extraordinary about this guy. He didn't want to trouble Jesus. See, while the elders were like, man, this guy deserves it, this guy's attitude is, is, man, I don't even want to bother him. This guy's special. And I don't even want to bother him with my problem. This is what he's saying here. Notice what he says. Lord, do not trouble yourself, 
Don't go out of your way for me. Notice the difference in the attitude there? The attitude of the other guys is, yeah, go out of your way for him, Jesus. He deserves it. This guy's attitude is, is man, don't even bother with me. Don't even bother with me. Notice something else there. He was marked by a sense of unworthiness. Notice what he says. Twice he says this. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So first of all, he's saying, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. But then he goes on in verse 7, and notice what he says. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. Jesus, I'm not even worthy to come into your presence. You shouldn't even bother coming to me, and I'm not even worthy to come to you. What is he marked with? He's marked by a sense of unworthiness. He's marked by a recognition of who Jesus is, and he's like, man, this dude is more special than me. I'm not even worthy to have him around. You know, in fact, as I'm just thinking about that, there was somebody else who reacted that way. Do you know who it was? Remember? Peter? In the boat? Jesus told him to cast his nets over on the side. When the fish were brought up, there was more fish. That I mean, they had to have another boat come over because the nets are getting ready to burst. And, and notice what Peter's reaction was. Again, it's in Luke. Peter's reaction was, is, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Why? Because he's recognizing who Jesus is. Look, my folks. This centurion was recognizing who Jesus is, and he's like, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you in my house because you're special, you're, you're holy. You're... And what we're going to see here is he recognizes who Jesus is and who Jesus is from. He recognizes he's from God. So how do you know that? Because notice what he says here in a moment. He's like, Jesus, I'm not even worthy. Why? Because he recognized Jesus' authority. I want you to notice with me. Notice the wording. Sometimes you can get confused by the wording of this passage. He says, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. Now, what's he talking about here? That that almost sounds like a contradiction. I'm placed under authority, but i got people under me. Here's what he's recognizing. He said, you know, I'm a military man, and there are superiors over me, but I have people under me. And what he's saying is, Jesus, I'm like you. You're in charge, but there's somebody over you. Who's the somebody, folks? God the Father. And what he's saying is, is, Jesus, just like me, I tell one guy to do something, he does it. I tell another guy to do this, and he does that. I tell another guy, go here, and he goes here. Jesus, all you need to do is just speak the word, and it's done. You have authority. This is what's extraordinary about the guy. He doesn't have to manipulate He doesn't have to impress Jesus with all the stuff that he's done. He even just goes so far as saying, Jesus, you're not even worthy to come into my presence. Lord, you have authority. You can do whatever you want. You do it. You do it. He's showing faith. He's showing faith. That's what's extraordinary. But this is what's the extraordinary. It's God, I'm not worthy. I don't want to bother you. But Lord, you have authority. You can do this. But if not, you're still God. You're still God. 
So I want you to notice now the reaction of Jesus to this centurion. Look at verse 9 and 10. And when Jesus heard these things, look at that word. He marveled at him. Stop for a moment. Has Jesus ever marveled at you? He marveled at this guy. Look at what it says. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now think about it, folks. Israel the people of God. He's marveling at this Gentile pagan who's got faith. He says, I can't even find this kind of faith here. And then verse 10, And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Two things I want you to see about the reaction. First of all, Jesus was impressed by his humble faith. Jesus was impressed by his humble faith. Folks, it's not our manipulation. That doesn't impress anybody. Look, it doesn't impress your spouse. Do you think it's going to impress God? You don't do anything for two weeks in a house. You lay around, you're watching TV, kicking your feet up, throwing your dirty clothes around, then all of a sudden you want something from your sweetie, and boy, you're cleaning up the house. Is there anything I can do for you, honey? You think she doesn't see through that? Believe me, Lori does. What do you want? Oh, nothing, sweetie. I'm t- yeah, come on. Two months later around, you finally figured out to do something? You, you think God does? You see what I'm saying? We manipulate God like we're trying to impress Him. He ain't impressed. Some of you guys do this stuff. Listen, oh, when I pray, I'm going to talk to God. I mean, and you're planning out a strategy to yourself about what you're going to say to God. First of all, folks, he's already there. He already hears you. So quit trying to strategize what to say to him. He ain't impressed. What's he impressed by? Humble. God, I am not worthy. God, I don't deserve this, but Lord, you could do it. My faith is in you. He's impressed by humble faith. Folks, we need to humble ourselves. And then notice what he does here. He responds to his faith. Jesus responds to his faith. Folks, he's going to respond to your faith. He's going to respond to your humility. You're trusting Him that whatever, but if not God, you're still God. That's what impresses Him. How do we apply this to our lives? I've got three things I want you to think about. Let's ask ourselves a tough question. Let's get real. Let's stop for a moment, and I want you to think about your time with Jesus, if you have one. Because the fact of the matter is, is you may not have one, but you only have one when a crisis happens. So I want you to think about your time with Jesus, and here's the question. What is your approach with Jesus? Is it manipulation? Is it eating with Him with intensity? Oh, Jesus, you've got to hear me. Oh, Jesus, you've got to pay attention to me. Jesus! And you ever notice that when we're intense, we get louder, like He's got a hearing problem? 
He's right there with you, folks. What's your approach with Him? Is it intensity? Is it manipulation? Is it, I deserve this, Jesus? Folks, we don't deserve anything. Or is it, God, I'm not worthy. God, I don't want to trouble you. Lord, I know if you just speak the word, it can happen. But if you don't, you're still God. What's your approach? Because number two, here's what do you believe about him? Look, it's it's interesting contrast when you look at the elders and their approach to Jesus and you look at the centurion and his approach to Jesus, you really see two different views of Jesus here. The one view is is that we view Jesus like some kind of sugar daddy. We view Jesus as some kind of benevolent benefactor that really what we need to do is, is just do enough stuff and maybe we can move him to do something for us. That if, if we say just the right words, have the right magic formula, he'll do it. That's one view. That's, that's one view of Jesus. The other view of Jesus is recognizing who he is, that he was sent by God, and he has authority, and he could do it, but I'm not worthy to be in his presence. See, what's your view of Jesus? What do you believe about him? If you view him as some just guy who wants you to be happy and he'll do whatever to make you happy, you're going to be sadly disappointed. And eventually you will be. So then that brings me to my third point. Humble yourself and place your faith in him. See, the first group is you're in control. Do you understand? When you're manipulating people... When you're manipulating God, you're in control. But what needs to take place is you need to humble yourself. What does humble yourself mean? It means to take yourself off the seat and place yourself at the foot. It means to let go of control and let somebody else be in control. It means, here, I'll help you to understand what it means to humble yourself. It means, guys, letting her drive the car and not saying anything while she's driving. You guys know what I'm talking about. Same thing, ladies. Letting him drive the car and not saying anything. That's humility, isn't it? Isn't it? Hey, let's, let's, that's our homework assignment this week. Let's try that. All the guys are saying, Amen. Right? Chickens. Nobody wants to speak up because they're here listening. You know what I'm talking about. Humble yourself and put faith in Him. Trust Him no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, because you recognize who He is. See, we've got to kill that conventional wisdom and thinking that we're operating under, that we somehow can manipulate him. Folks, he cannot be manipulated. But what he's seeking and what really impresses him is genuineness from your heart. 
So let's start being genuine. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.